0: Well, we're continuing on our teaching series on the healer, which is Jesus Christ. This is part six. And think about this. We've spent six weeks just talking about healing. Most people didn't realize there was, that, there was enough about healing in the Bible to talk about, talk about it for six weeks. That's how little the church spends on that part of the, the redemption work of Christ, And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we wonder why we don't have faith for healing, because we don't hear it. I mean, even me as a a pastor, there are times when I have to go back and I have to study on healing for myself. I have to listen to teachings on healing. And I can feel faith rise in me when I do that. And I'm sure... You know, I'm not going to have a show of hands, but there are some of you that might might have been skeptical. Yeah, you know what I'm saying (laughs) about healing and all that stuff as we got talking about it, as we started teaching on it. But I believe, I believe, as we've been going through these six weeks, faith has been rising up in you. At least, maybe you got a hope now, and pretty soon it's going to become faith, and then becomes sight. But faith rises up as we teach on these things. And last week, we shared this with you in Malachi. This is a prophecy of, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he, in Malachi 4.2, it says, But to you who fear my name. So who is he talking to? He's talking to us. I fear the name of the Lord. I take him seriously. He, he's part of me. He's my life. He says that the Son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That wings, it, it, it literally, it's like the sun rays. You know how the sun comes up and it spreads its rays out? It's the wings of the sun. It's talking about the rays of the sun. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. That's how the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to, to feast upon him. He wants us, him to be our provider. He wants to be our shelter. He wants to be our all in all. He wants us to be stall-fed calves. Stall-fed calves. But how many times do we just reject being a stall-fed calf? And we go out into the pasture, we go out into the wilderness on our own, and then we cry out when we get into hunger into thirst, and to thirst and want. And God said, you know what, you never needed to go out there. You just stay in my presence, stay with me, and I will be your provider. And that's what we're supposed to be in Christ Jesus. But he says that he's the son the son of righteousness. And we talked about this, how that it's spelled S-U-N, not S-O-N. And that's why I believe that this is the Spirit of God just totally um, inspired the, the writer to write this because he's talking about an individual. He's talking about the Messiah. But he says S-U-N instead of S-O-N. And that's because he's using imagery. Just like the sun rises, it's, it's there there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change it. There's never a day that it doesn't rise. Even, even if the, it's cloudy and overcast, and then it moves away and the sun breaks through the clouds, and we say, oh, the sun came out. No, the sun didn't come out. The sun had always been there. And we have said that at 30,000 feet, it's always a beautiful day. It's always sunny at 30,000 feet. And what the, what the uh, prophet is doing, he's, he's comparing Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to this everlasting son everlasting that's constant and never changes. That's what Jesus is to us. He's everlasting. He's constant. He never changes. And what does he have in his rays? Healing. Healing in his race. The finished work of Jesus Christ is constant. Salvation has come. This might shock people when we, I say this, but Jesus is not saving anybody else. He's already saved the entire world. But if you, what we have to do is embrace that salvation by faith. We have to embrace the finished work of Christ. And when you embrace the finished work of Christ, you bring in the Spirit of God within you, and you are born again. He's not saving. He's not forgiving any more sins. The sins were forgiven on the cross. There is no other sacrifice for sins. There's one sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He can't forgive any other sins. All your sins have been forgiven. Now, you're either going to embrace that and walk in it, or you're going to live in condemnation and doubt and unbelief. Healing. (laughs) God's not healing anybody else. Healing has come. The sun of righteousness has arise with healing in his wings. It's constant. It's there, never changing, never fluctuating. It's there for us just to embrace and to receive. And what we've learned is just like the sun is constant and always there, but there can be hindrances. There can be clouds that block the sun and affect our interaction with the sun, affect how us receiving the rays from the sun, the warmth of the sun. Right, it can, The sun can be blacked out and it can change our, very, our emotions. Right, We can become depressed just by clouds being in the way. And so just like the sun has different clouds that block it, there are different hindrances that block us from receiving from Jesus Christ who is always constant, never changing. He never changes. He never fluctuates. We're the ones that change and fluctuate. Our love for God, we might love God one week, we're on fire for God, and then a month goes by, and I'm, I found something else to love. I found something else to be excited about. But aren't you so glad that his love for you never fluctuates? It's always the same. And that's why it's so important for you to, to concentrate on his love for you, not your love for him. Because your love for him fluctuates, but his love for you never fluctuates. And when you concentrate on his love for you, you'll find you loving him more and more and more. Hmm. Well, I better get into the messages. These are all things I wasn't supposed to say. But anyways, we got cumulus clouds. Those are the big fluffy clouds. You got uh, cirrus clouds. Those are the thin, wispy clouds. And then you got the stratus clouds. Those are the big storm clouds filled with rain, thunderstorms, and sometimes can totally block out the sun. And there's different, just like there's different clouds that block out the sun, there's, there's different hindrances that block, out, block us from receiving from God. And the good news is, is that no matter what type of cloud might be hindering you, is that just like that, God can dry, dry the clouds up, blow them away so that you can receive from him. Last week we looked at these hindrances, these clouds that that black out the healing rays of of Jesus Christ. And the first one we looked at was lack of knowledge. And the Bible says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And it actually goes on to say, and you have reject knowledge. It's not just not knowing, it's rejecting the knowledge of God. We We all have Bibles. We've got... 30 different translations just on our phone alone. We've got teaching messages. We've got free CDs. We've got internet. You can be in the Word of God. You can receive the knowledge of God as much as you want. As much as you want. So ask yourself, what's on my radio? I mean, even Christian radio, singing and stuff, that's good. But it's still not the Word. It's still not teaching. It's not the Word of God. And if we believe that the Word of God is truth... If we believe that that is where our answer is, is in the word of God, we should be feeding on him daily, feeding on him daily. And you'll see that your faith in him will rise. So it's just not not knowing, it's rejecting knowledge. It's rejecting the knowledge of God in our life. And number two, we looked at um, uncertainty concerning God's will, and that ties right in with knowledge. If you don't know God, if you don't know God's word, God's will is his word. It caused you to be in doubt and unbelief. It caused you to question. Some, some people actually believe that God's the one that makes them sick. Or they, they believe that God might not be the one that makes them sick, but God is allowing for them to be sick. Which I don't know what the difference is. God has already provided for your healing. He's on your side when it comes to healing. He's on your side when it comes to salvation. For you for you to think that God allow Well, according to free will, he does allow you because he does allow you to sin, doesn't he? But is it his w- will for you to sin? No, it is not. And he will allow you to be sick. But is it his will for you to be sick? No, it's not. So uncertainty, knowing God's will. Misunderstanding of the old covenant laws... People are so twisted in not understanding the difference between the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant of Jesus Christ. They think that they look at the wrath, they look at God going into a, into a, a nation and cursing them or bringing his wrath upon them or wiping out a whole civilization. They're not rightly dividing the word of truth. God was dealing with people on their level. According to do good, get good, do bad, get beat. And it's the same thing that people are still interacting with God today. Law. Either the law of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, or their own law that they make up. Right? It's all man's, it's a religion. Religion is man's attempt to be right before God. And if you don't believe that there's a God, to be right with yourself. Because inside of us, we know we're not right. Right? And you can be an atheist, not, don't even believe in God, and have your own little set of cute little moral laws that if I just do these things, then I'm a good person. Or you can be a Christian and try to follow the Ten Commandments and the law, the law of the Old Testament. Both of them are religion. Both of them are your attempt to be righteous with yourself. Be righteous before man, be holy before man, to, be, to have your conscience clean. But none of them equal the righteousness of God. None of them equal the holiness of God. We can't do it on our own. But in the new covenant, the covenant of grace, grace empowers us now to live holy, to live righteous, not by our strength, but the strength of Jesus Christ that dwells within us. Big difference, big difference. So not understanding the two covenants, the, 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 the two laws, the law of love and the law of Moses. Sin and living in known, habitual, unrepented sin. Just because Jesus has forgiven your sin, he has rescued rescued you from your sin, that doesn't mean you can just go out and sin. Sin has a consequence. The wages of sin is death. Two plus two is four. It doesn't matter. You sin, you're going to reap destruction. You're going to reap death. There's no way around it. And the good news is that Jesus Christ, like we said, has given us the power by his grace to live free from sin. We are no longer a slave to sin, but the Son of, the Son has set us free. And then the traditions of men, that's where we ended last week, and that's where we're going to pick up today. Men's traditions. One of the reasons why I use so many scriptures, I use scripture after scripture after scripture, is because I want to show you that I'm not teaching an idea or a theology, but I'm teaching the Word of God. See, theology, that sounds really spiritual, but everyone has a theology. And basically what it means is how you believe God is. We all have a theology. Some people have a theology that God's mean. Some people have a theology that he's full of wrath and anger. Some people have a theology that he doesn't heal. Some people have a theology that he only saves certain individuals, and it's like the lottery system. If he draws your number, woohoo! If not, going to hell. Those are different theologies. And there's a difference between theology and preaching the word of God. I could easily get up here and share one scripture with you to look spiritual and then share my theology with you through the rest of the, the service. But I choose not to do that. Because there's no power in that. There's no, there's, there's no authority from the God in that. The word of God is his authority and his power, and that's where faith comes from. And it's the only thing that can change your life forever. So that's the problem, though, is so many people are stuck in uh, the doctrine of their church or their denomination or man's teachings or man's ideas about God. They get their theology from the History Channel or National Geographics or whatever you want to say. But the only place that you can know who God is is through his word. In Mark 7, 7 through 13, it says, "And in, just as Jesus is talking, and in vain they worship me. What's that mean? That means you're wasting your time in vain. If you're going to church and it's just filled with man's philosophies, man's teachings, man's rules and regulations, You're wasting your... Jesus is saying you're wasting your time worshiping him. That's pretty heavy. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Some people love their traditions more than the word of God. You can show them the word of God, what the word of God says about something. They said, well, I, could, I don't care what that says. That's scary. I don't care what that says. Or then now it's gotten to the point, well, you can't believe everything that's in the Bible. Well, if you can't believe everything, then you can't believe anything. You can't pick and choose what is truth and what is not truth. That you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let them do anything for his father and mother, making the word of God of no effect. Through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things that you do. See, what was happening is that the, the Pharisees and the priests were saying to the people, If you donate to, my ch- to the church the money that you would use to take care of your parents in their old age, then you're free from the law. That was a tradition of men, and they were doing it to get, they were greedy. They were stealing the retirement of, of their, these people from their children and saying, you can, you're clean with God. You don't have to take care of your, your, your parents in old age. You just give the money to the church, and then God will let you go off taking your, care of your parents in their old age. And that's just a tradition. Traditions. You know, back in the dark ages where the word of God was shut up, there was a tradition that if you give money to the church, you can get your family member out of purgatory. It's no different than this right here. Telling people that if you want your your family members to go to heaven, you need to give money to the church. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. It doesn't even talk about purgatory. Purgatory. It was a tradition of man. man. It was a scheme of man to get money from people. And it's traditions. Traditions make the word of God of no effect. The reason why the word of God isn't working in so many churches is because their traditions are higher than the word of God. Their doctrine is higher than the word of God. And it makes the word of God none effect and their worship becomes just vain. It just becomes vain. And that's why we can't, we can't be in a place that we teach the traditions of men. We have to teach the, the word of God. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down. Notice that it's something that they pass on. We can neutralize the positive power of God's word towards us. And nothing will do that any quicker than elevating man's tradition above God's word. We, and the thing of it is, it doesn't even have to be a tradition of a church. You might have your own tradition. You might have your own little thing that you have raised above the word of God in your life. And we need to tear down those traditions because they can stop the power of God from working in your life. It makes the word of God of no effect in your life. In Romans chapter 3, 1 through 4, it says, What advantage then have the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. What's the oracles of God? The word of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written... That thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Look at what he says here. Paul was using the phrase, the faith of God, right? And then in this verse, interchangeably with the phrase, oracles of God. He was saying that unbelief of the Jews did not make the word of God or the promises of God without effect. Therefore, the word of God is the faith of God. The word of God is God's faithfulness. It's his faith. No wonder faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word contains the faith of God. It's his promises. That's that's deep right there, if you can understand that. That right in the word of God is the faith of God. The promises of God. His faithfulness is in his word. And just because you don't believe his word doesn't void the truthfulness of his word. The faithfulness of his word. This morning we read that scripture in 1 John where it says, If our hearts condemn us, God is stronger than our hearts. That might be a little paraphrase, But God is stronger than our hearts. What he's saying is, it's just because you feel unfit, you feel condemned, you feel unloved, and your heart condemns you, doesn't keep God from loving you and being faithful to his promises. He's bigger than your heart. That's good. That was good. In Isaiah fifty-five eleven, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I sent it. God's word does not return unto him void, but it may produce negative results of judgment if we reject his word. You understand that if we reject his word, the positive results of God's salvation, God's blessing, God's faithfulness, his love, if you reject truth, if you reject the faithfulness of God, if you reject his word, it will produce in your life. It's either going to pre- produce a negative thing if you reject it, and that's what so many people that's, people interp- interpret the wrath of God. They, when they hear the word of God, it feels like it's wrath because they reject it. Or you hear the word of God and it's food and nourishment and life and peace unto you. It's all in how you receive the word of God. And nothing can stop the word of God from performing in your life faster than the traditions of men. Hebrews 4, two. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The Word of God is filled with the faithfulness of God. The Word of God is sent so it does not return void. It's it's to produce something in our lives. But if you do not mix the Word of God with your faith, faith in the faithfulness of God, faith in His Word, faith in His promises, it's not going to affect you. It didn't profit. It won't profit you. We have a a role to play in this, don't we? God doesn't steamroll anybody. Anybody? But he invites us to come and join him in what he's doing in the earth, and what he wants to do in your life. Second Timothy four two through four, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with long, with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap upon themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. To fables. We are living in an age where we're doing this. The Presbyterian Church just came out. The whole denomination, I'm, they... They're proud of it, so I have no qualms about calling them out on it. And they've embraced gay marriage. Those are fables. Those are teachings of men. From the dawn of civilization, marriage was always a man and a woman. Even pagan, even pagan people that didn't even worship a god or worship fall gods or worship the sun, the moon... You go back in history as far as you want. Marriage has always been male and female. We are the first generation to ever question marriage. And what we do is we say, well, we have we have grown intellectually. The Word of God needs to be li- living in a way that it's, it transformed to the, the knowledge and the understanding that we have today. They say the same thing about the Constitution that the Constitution has to be living and it has to change with understanding in the culture of that day. No. We change. We change to the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't change to us, we change. And the traditions of men make the word of God a none effect We're living in a day and age where this is happening at at an ever-increasing pace. Another hindrance that can stop us from receiving from God is demonic assault. Demonic assault. In Luke chapter 13, 10 through 3, it says... Now, he was teaching, this is Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. What was it? It was a spirit of infirmity. And was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Ain't that something? That, that healing causes people to glorify God. And we say, well, maybe you're sick because God wants to get some kind of glory out of it. Well, according to the Bible, the only time God got any glory out of someone being sick is when they got healed. It's when they got healed. He goes on in, in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, here comes a guy that is full of man's traditions. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Jeez. <laughs> I just... I'll share it because it popped in my head. We were at a prayer meeting in Port Huron and I had something like this, this happen, a tradition over the work of God. I went up and said some things and one of the things that I say, as you guys know, I'm a big grace person and I, and I made the comment that so many people think that if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I said, if God does judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ took the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God. And right after He said that, I had, I'm not boasting myself, but I'm just trying to make a point here. This is the first time I've ever done it. And I said, someone has back pain right here. And God wants to heal you. And it was a pin drop. No one, no one moved. And then finally, someone jumped up. Troy and all the Troy was with us and stuff, and uh, the worship a lot of the guys from the worship team. And um, someone jumped up from the back and walked down there, and God healed them. And God healed them, and it was awesome. But afterwards, afterwards, I had a pastor come, a preacher, older older than me, and you know I respect my elders. And he came up to me and he says, "I got a question for you about what you said up there." And he said, about God not judging America and stuff like that. You do believe we need to repent and stuff. And I said, yeah, I believe you need to repent. If you believe it biblically, that it means to change your mind. What God calls wrong, we change our mind and we call it wrong. But I don't believe we need to go to the altar, fall on our knees and cry our eyes out every Sunday, asking God to forgive us. I said, we got to walk in the truth. He goes, oh. Okay, because that that just really confused me. What you said said up there, and I'm, th- I'm thinking there he's talking to me, and I'm excited because the other people we talked about was talking about this guy getting healed, and this guy wants to talk to me about is God really that good? God's gonna judge somebody. He's got to judge somebody, and I'm just like, how can you? It was just like this guy. This woman had an infirmity, and she just was healed. And you want to talk about doctrine and traditions of men? Let's glorify what God's doing right here in our presence right now. And we're just, we're just so ignorant when it comes to this stuff. It's religion. Religion is ignorance. It's ignorance gone to sea. It's, it's gone. And look at what Jesus said. You know, I, I'm not as bold as Jesus. Jesus says, The Lord answered and said answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead him away to water it? So ought this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years. No compassion in this man whatsoever. For 18 years, be loosed from the, this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the, all the glorious things that were done by him. That's what religion will do to you. And we gotta, I, we got to get to a point where we're just bold enough and just call it as it is. You're a hypocrite. Putting our religious traditions before loving people and encouraging people and delivering people and seeing them set free. Acts 10.38. See, I'm still talking about religious traditions, you know. But we've seen that this woman, that the devil has had her in bondage. This was an infirmity, a spirit of infirmity that was upon her. And, and it doesn't, you know, some people, what's, it was, are you being oppressed by an evil spirit, or are you possessed, or whatever? It doesn't matter. Let's just get it out. Let's just get it off you. It doesn't matter if it's possession or oppression. Just in the name of Jesus, cast it off. Tell it to get, up, get rid, rid of it. And that's what Jesus came to do. He said in Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Sickness and disease is an oppression of the devil. It's the fall of man. It's it's the kingdom of darkness. And it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And so sometimes... Not all the times, sometimes sickness can be a spirit of infirmity. It can be demonic. And there's two camps here. There's two ditches, actually. You can be on like most mainline Christians that they, they don't believe that there is even a devil. You know, or if there is demons, they're over in Africa or somewhere, right? There's no demons in America. What, there, there's demons in America. They're all in Washington. But, that, <laughs> but there's some that just don't believe that there's a devil. And they, they don't understand that there's a spiritual kingdom and a spiritual thing. There's, there's angels in here right now. And there's, there's de- devils in here right now. And the uh, yeah, devil goes to church. That's where he can. That's how he gets most of his plans. And then there's other people that believe that there's a devil behind every bush. That everything's the devil, that the devil, the devil made me do it. And both those camps are just extremes. You know, the Bible teaches that a third of the angels fell. So, if a third of the angels fell, there's two thirds left, right? Of good angels, so. For every one demon, there's two angels that are beating a snot out of it. Right? We don't fear the devil. Jesus destroyed the devil. We don't fear demons. We have authority over demons. And in the name of Jesus, you cast it out. It's that easy. That's why the Holy Spirit gave one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is what? Discerning of spirits. To know if it is Demonic right another one is not discerning the lord's body this is another one where just because of man's traditions i am shocked that people do not understand this do not know how to discern the lord's body people take communion take the lord's supper whatever you want to call it all over this this world and I I never heard this taught in the churches I went to. And maybe I just was going to the wrong churches. I don't know. But anyways, 1 Corinthians 11.30. For as often as you eat and drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So what is the unworthy manner? The unworthy manner is how you drink and eat. It's not you being unworthy as an unworthy person, because Jesus made us worthy. Do you understand that? It's how you partake. How you partake. Let's keep reading. But let a man examine himself, And so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Not discerning. Not discerning. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For what reason? Not discerning the Lord's body. Partaking of the Lord's communion, the Lord's supper. In an unworthy manner, not discerning what this means, what the cup means, and what the bread means. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For this reason, for this reason, for one reason, not discerning the Lord's body. Look at how the New Living Translation puts it. Verse 30 That is why many of you are weak and sick and ha- and some have even died. Now I'm not saying that this is why so and so died but and I don't know why so and so died but I'm saying that this is how you live. This is how you live. You discern the Lord's body. What does that cup mean? What does that bread mean? How do you discern the Lord's body? You you discern the Lord's body by remembering what he done for, has done for you, that his body was broken for you, that he bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases, and by the stripes that striped him, we were healed. That's correctly discerning the Lord's body. But we make it into some religious tradition. We spend more time examining us and all our failures instead of Examining Jesus and what he has done for us. That's what communion is all about. It's not about you. And another thing: the bread doesn't do anything. There's no power in the bread. There's no power in the cup. There are points of contact that symbolizes what Jesus Christ has done for you. To remember, put yourself in remembrance of Him. And most of us spend more time remembering all our failures, all our shortcomings. And that's taking the Lord's body in an unworthy manner. You're supposed to be remembering him, not you. And if we spent our time, spent our life remembering him throughout the day, we wouldn't have all those shortcomings and failures. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We've been delivered. When that little scratchy throat comes on or that body ache comes on, discern the Lord's body. Take communion. You don't have to take communion in church. You can take it at home. Just put yourself in remembrance. We have no problem remembering to take our medicine. Why not take communion three times after every meal? And put yourself in remembrance to the Lord's body. How many of you want to be weak? How many of you want to be sick? How many of you want your life cut short? But how many want to be strong? Nobody? How many wants to be healthy? And how many wants long life? A long, full life. Then discern the Lord's body. You can't get around this. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, this is why many are weak, sick, and have even died. Because they do not discern the Lord's body. In John 6, 53 and 58, look at this. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him as the as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus Christ is our nourishment. we 're supposed to feed on him daily, daily, fresh manna, fresh Jesus, every day. Fresh relationship with Jesus. Fresh, just feeding on the goodness of God daily. Relationship. He sustains us. If you want life in you, if you want to abide in his love, you have to feed on Jesus daily. Number eight, dishonoring parents. Dishonoring parents can be a hindrance. A hindrance and allow... Sickness and disease to come come into your life. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may, may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Notice that we already talked about this, that they were trying to get around this commandment, trying to get around this honoring your father and mother and not take care of them in their in their old age. It says here, Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. But after you grow up, you leave your father and mother, right? And you cleave to your husband and wife. And then you honor them. You honor them. Right? You don't, you don't, you're no longer under their, to obey their every whim after you grow up. But as a ch- child, you are, you are to obey them. Right, Chloe? One of the violations of this today is children putting their the words of their peers, the ideas of their peers, of their friends, above the words of their parents. That's not obeying and that's not honoring your parents. And there's that temptation there to want to run with the crowd, to want to... Uh, Do what your friends want you to do. And and what you have to remember is that no one loves you. No one wants the best in life for you like your parents do. They should, at least. And what they are telling you is to preserve your life and give you a long life. And if your friends, if their friends are trying to negate what the parents are saying. It's actually contradicting what the parents are saying. It's leading to destruction. And parents, you can't be friends with your children. You can be friends after they leave and cleave. That's when friendship starts. But when they're children, you've you got to be a parent. The biggest problem is, is parents nowadays want to be cool. They want to be their kids' friends. And you can't do that. There'll be a time to be their friends. Right now, when they're teenagers, when they're young, they need to hate you. That sounds terrible, don't it? I've already told my kids, I could care less if you hate me. I still love you, and one day we're going to be friends because I'm going to rescue you from so much destruction that the world has for you. And you might not understand it now, but one day you're going to appreciate this. But we are so self-conscious, and we want, to, want our kids to like us. Now, if, if you really love your kids, they're going to get mad at you. They're going to get mad at you. So here's the question. We are promised the blessing of long life, and things will go well with us when we honor our parents. The problem is, is how do you honor parents that aren't worthy of honor? There's so much abuse, neglect, abandonment in this day and age. It just boggles my mind how many of of kids in my children's classes don't don't even know who their fathers are, or they're totally out of the picture. And, and the abuse and just ramp it, and nowadays, and with the perversion that's in society today, it's not only the, the fathers but even the mothers are abusing their own children. And we as a church, we've got to find a way to help those people to forgive. So how do you honor someone that's not, not worthy of honor? Well how you can honor them, is you be, you be the parent that you wish they were. You stop that cycle of abuse, of anger, and you be that parent. You honor them by being, and you honor the Lord by being the parent that God has called you to be. Be the parent that you've always wanted them to be. Treat your children, treat your grandchildren the way that you wish you were treated when you were a kid. That's how you can honor them. And as I talked to my, my daughter, I said, do you realize that if, if uh, you and, my, you, you and my, your ma, if me and my, your ma never, never got together you wouldn't even exist? And she goes, you know what? I did think, I I have thought about that before. (laughs) One of the things you can be thankful for, if you can't find anything to be thankful for because of your parents, you can be thankful that they gave you life. Because you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And you can live your life honoring them by being the parent and being the person that God has called you to be. Amen? Amen. Number nine, unbelief. And this is probably where we're going to end today. There's three different types of unbelief that can cloud out healing, cloud out receiving from God. The first type of unbelief is unbelief of a group. Some of the hardest places to get someone to get a prayer answered or get someone healed is in church. Jesus actually, there there was whole towns that he condemned because of their unbelief. Look at this in Matthew 13, 53 and 58. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So where's he at? He's in church, right? So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get these wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother? Is that his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? A lot of people don't realize this, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus, but she wasn't a virgin after that. He had brothers, he had sisters. They're actually half brothers, half sisters, because they had the same mother, but they didn't have the same father. And his sisters, aren't they not all with us? Where did this man get these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Now he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They started, with, they started seeing him. See, at first they're seeing him in the word of God, the things that he taught. They've they seen him in, in the works that he did. And then they became carnal. And they said, who is this guy? We know this guy. We grew up with this guy. His dad was that carpenter. He fixed my dad, my, our front porch when I was little. His mother is Mary, and he's got brothers and sisters and everything. Who does this guy think he is? How many people think that Jesus was just a prophet, a nice guy to this day? Many, many don't embrace him as the son of God. And that's why not many mighty works happen there. But look at this, Jesus could not do many mighty works because of unbelief. And if Jesus couldn't do many mighty works because of unbelief, don't you think that unbelief can hinder us from doing many mighty works? I don't know what mighty works were, but in Mark, where it talks about this, it says that Jesus couldn't do many mighty works, except he laid his hands on a few sick people, and they recovered. And what that means in the Greek is minor ailments they had. But unbelief of a crowd and unbelief of a church... Nothing against you guys, but there's some days when I feel like I'm pulling the church uphill as I'm preaching, and i got to do it by faith. There's other days that it's easy to preach. It's easy. But unbelief can hinder God from working in an environment. That's why it's so important to enter into praise and worship. That's why it's so important to, to magnify God in this place. Another type of unbelief is unbelief of disciples or the pastors. Many pastors won't talk about this, but they sometimes struggle with unbelief. Look at this in Matthew 17, 14 through 16. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and And often into the water, so I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. The disciples, the pastors, Jesus' right hand guys, was filled with unbelief. They couldn't. They couldn't cure the boy. Verse seventeen. Then Jesus answered and said, "Oh, that's all right. That's no big deal, guys. No. What did he say? Oh, faithless and perverse generation." How long shall I be with you? It's like, come on, guys. Believe. Believe. Don't be twisted in your thinking. How long do I got to do this for you? It's time for you to start doing it for yourself. How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. Look at that. It was a demon that caused it. And it came out of him, and a child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move. And nothing, how, what, how much? Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. This kind of what? A lot of people interp- used to interpret that as this kind of demon. You've got to fast and pray. No, this kind of unbelief. This kind of unbelief comes out through fasting and prayer through spending time with God. See, what happened was Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He came down, and up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was just Peter, James, and John up there. And the other disciples were at the, down here with the crowd. And right there, that, that, that child had a demonic epileptic, epileptic whatever, Caesar. Caesar. And they've seen him foaming at their mouth. They've seen him gritting his teeth. They've seen him doing things with his body the body is not supposed to do. And they were filled with unbelief. And in Mark, where it talks about the same thing, it says that when Jesus walked down there, the kid did it The demon manifests again, and the kid did it, did it again. And we're going to read that in just a second. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. So just because a pastor prays for you, listen, listen, just because a pastor prays for you and you did not receive the manifestation does not mean that it's not God's will for you to be healed. Some people, they go to someone to have them pray for them. They go to an evangelist. They go to some crusade. They go, they go to me. And just because you don't receive, you think, well, it must not be God's will for me to be healed. No! Unbelief on anybody's part, it has nothing to do with God's will. That's why it's so important for me as a pastor to stay in the Word of God, to be reading the Word of God, to be feeding on the Word of God, to be filled with faith, praying in the Spirit, building myself up on my most holy faith so that I'm not in unbelief. So we see that a crowd can be in unbelief, the pastor or the leader can be in unbelief, and then there's personal unbelief. Personal unbelief. Mark 9:23 through 24 Jesus said to him if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes this is to the father with the son that had a demon and was having seizures. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears Lord I believe help my unbelief. And we're going to be covering this in more detail in next week. Getting the doubt out. Seeing that Jesus, the way that Jesus healed, Jesus healed over and over again according to your faith. According to how you believe. According to how you trust in him. And right now, people get so condemned when you start talking this way. They start saying, so you're saying I don't have any faith. No, I'm saying... Let's get some faith. Let's get faith. Let's believe. Right? If it's not working, let's get faith. How do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Building yourself up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. That's how you get faith. Right? Right? So don't get condemned. Don't think, oh, I don't have enough faith. Yes, you do. You have the word of God, and it's filled with the faith of God. And I'm going to do this real quick just so we can get it done. Strife. Strife can cause cause hindrances for you receiving. In James 3.16, for where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. If your life is filled with strife, if, if it's filled with strife and envying, right there in that place, there's the evil work. Strife is like... Poop for flies. Where there's strife, there's demons. There's every evil work in strife and envying. If you, want, if you want to draw draw in evil works, get in strife. In 2 Corinthians 2, 10, 11, it says, Now, whom you forget, forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven anything. That one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. This is talking about the guy that they kicked out of the church because he was sleeping with his, husband, his father's wife. Right? And now he has repented. He wants to come back in the church. And Paul is saying, if you forgive him, I forgive him. I stand behind you, behind you. We forgive him in the presence of God and Christ. And he says, I have forgiven that, that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Least Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Unforgiveness opens the door, opens the door to Satan. He can take advantage of you if you are in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, strife, divisions is a place where demonic activity can take hold. Ephesians four thirty two. And beloved or and and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God as God in Christ forgave you. If you have unforgiveness in your heart for a person, you need to get it out. Because unforgiveness, strife, division, it's a prison for you. There are people that are filled with unforgiveness to people that aren't even living anymore. They're not even on this earth. You're not affecting anyone except yourself. And it's a prison. And it it's a wall that you build, and it keeps God from working in your life. And if God was willing to forgive us, we should forgive others. And you do it by faith. You might not feel like forgiving them, but in faith in Jesus Christ, you forgive those individuals. Does that mean that you have to hang out with them and they've got to be your best friend? No. What it is saying is, I forgive you the wrong that you've done to me, and I'm not going to allow you to have any place in here anymore. Amen? Amen. So I hope you guys got some stuff out of this. These clouds that are in our life, clouds that can block out the healing rays of of Jesus Christ. A lack of knowledge, uncertainty concerning God's will, misunderstanding, the old covenant laws, sin and living in known habitual unrepented sin, traditions of men, demonic assault, not discerning the Lord's body, dishonoring our parents, unbelief and strife. These are these are all clouds, and maybe right now in your life it seem like they're a deep, thick cloud, but I'm telling you, Jesus can evaporate these clouds in an instant. And allow the healing rays of Jesus Christ to permeate your being. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Caris New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.charisntc.org And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.